0: So we're in the series, and we're on the series for the Incarnation, and last week we talked about uh, the idea of seeing Christmas through God's eyes. In other words, uh, what we were trying to gain is the perspective of, yeah, we know what we think of it when we look at Christmas, but what does it look like through God's eyes? How does he see it? What would he attribute to? And we talked about the whole issue last week of motive, right? Uh, Not what we do, but why we do what we do, and... What we said is that motives can often be attached to a person's actions, but in fact, the only person who can really tell us why they did what they did was the person doing the doing, right? You ever misguessed your children or something, and all of a sudden you find out they were doing something completely different, you went, oh my gosh, I just blew it. I totally misread what they were up to, right? And and a lot of times that's happening, I think, a lot with the God, with Christmas, with the things He's doing. It's getting misinterpreted and read. So we want to look at it from His perspective. We saw last week that the reason or motive that God gave or gives for His appearing on our turf in the form of Jesus was because He, what, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but, what, have eternal life. He said His motive was love. He said that's what prompted him to the action. And he's clear and adamant that it was his great love that brought him to be among us. Uh, And in this, I think God was ultimately wise when he did it too. You know, we talk about, we celebrate, uh, people say, why is Christmas carry sometimes more oomph than even Easter seems to carry? Because really you'd think Easter would carry more oomph. But you know what? God was really smart because babies move you in ways nobody else can be moved. Uh, We just had... uh, Step by step banquet and uh Dave Gamber gave me this story where they were out later in the banquet and Cindy had grabbed one, they had her grab one family and then they couldn't find somebody so they grabbed Dave and said, would you take this family in and have a meal together, right? And it was a mom and her daughter and they both had daughters and and so they took this little three week old infant and put the baby in Dave's arms, right? And you know Dave, bodybuilder, I'm tough <laughs> kind of guy, right? And they put this baby in his arms, and he walked past his wife, Cindy, and said, and the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. Right? Babies just do something that nothing else can do. And so God came in the form of a baby, I think, in a way he knew he could grab our heart that otherwise couldn't be grabbed. You know, there's another side to this I think I want us to just walk down together a bit and think. Think about God and how you know him. When you think of God as a person, right? So think about the Lord. When you think of God as a person, what do you think of? What type of person is he? What uh, character traits does he have? How does he react to you? Now, as you're thinking there, there's probably a lot of things rumbling around and there's probably a lot of answers and a lot of good answers. But I would guess that for very few of us, the answer is that he is a person of joy. I didn't grow up with that. I grew up with a very stern God, a very uh, disciplinary God, a God who's grumpy, a God who's a CEO and running the universe. Children should be seen and not heard. The less I said, the better off it was. And, uh, you know, uh, if I had to go and meet with God, that was not a good thing. That was like being in the principal's office. I did not have a picture of a person who was full of joy. That, that did not come across my radar screen in any way, shape or form. And uh, I was incredibly surprised by that. But what Scripture tells us is that one of his key traits is he is a person of joy. All right? And so my hope this morning is that our hearts would grow three sizes this morning as we think about his joy. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, as I come again, i uh, said this in the first two, but it's not my job to convince my friends that you're a person of joy. That's the job of your Holy Spirit, and we would actively invite your Spirit this morning to be among us and to run and rumble through and get together and speak as you would see fit. Uh, But Lord, in this matter of you being a person full of joy, would you validate that? That's not a picture that naturally occurs to us, and there's some reasons for that. We'll look at it this morning, but help us walk through this and uh, help our hearts grow in this this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, you know how it begins. It's Christmas. So we start with the story, and it goes like this. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. This was pre-Spielberg. All right? So special effects weren't in the order yet. And big, bright lights with wavy things in it was not cool. That was like backpedal... What the heck is happening? Freak out, you know, run. And so the angel has to say, Oh, stop, guys, fear not. I'm not here to hurt you. Right? Oh, okay. And then he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great, what's the word there? Joy. Think of all the different ways God could have introduced the topic of him coming to this planet. Would you have picked joy? I don't think I would have. And I think that catches us when we focus on that to realize God introduced the good news. It was good news of great joy. And who was it for? Was it just for the shepherds? What does it say up there? It was for all the people. That's you. That's me. That's a bunch of others of us. That's 2,000 years of people who have been introduced to him and have run into the person of great joy. He says, For unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now these words are some of the most famous words in the world. In thanks, in part, to Linus. Right? Every year, children of all ages, whether they go to church or not, are again introduced to Jesus through Charles Schulz's Christmas, uh, a Charlie Brown's Christmas. Fear not, can't you just see him, right? Blanket talking. I can tell you the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. Says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That is for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God's response in getting to do what he was going to do? Joy. He was pumped over it. He was excited about it. He had great joy in what he was about to carry out. Does that mean what he was about to carry out was simple? No, not at all. But he had great joy in doing it, and he announced it that way. Um, let's just take a look at this. I, I think if you were to take a concordance and just look at all the references to joy, you would be very surprised where joy shows up because it does not show up in all the places you would expect it to. Um, let's take a look, just a, a real quick one, a picture form here. Remember Mary and Elizabeth? Remember when Elizabeth uh, heard Mary's greeting and it says that the baby in her womb, what, leapt? For joy that baby was who john the baptist wasn't even born yet but when he heard that mary was coming and had no concept of what pregnancy was because he was still in the womb he knew there was another baby in the womb and when he knew that introduction was given it says he leapt for joy in the womb okay now moms you've had babies they leap for a lot of reasons most of them aren't joy right Okay? It says he leapt for joy. How about the wise men? When we think of the wise men, um we, you know, we know about the star and they're following the star and, and, and all that sort of stuff, but it says the wise men, when they saw where the star had pointed them to, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. We forget that part. You know, you probably would too if you rode a camel for eleven hundred miles. Right? You ever have a long trip and you get out and you're just Oh, we made it, right? You have just great joy because you made it and you're excited. Well, they, they were excited because they put a lot of effort into something and it brought them to where they hoped it would bring them. And it says they rejoiced exceedingly. They had exceedingly great joy. One a little more um, intense, but Christ on the cross. Remember we said Christmas always telegraphs to Easter, Right? Christmas is when he came, but Easter is why he came. So it always telegraphs to Easter. But on the cross, what does it say? Hebrews tells us that we are to look to Jesus who, for the joy that was set before him. Does that look like a joyous thing to you? It says, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising his shame. He looked at it and said, yeah, not fun, not cool, but you know what, going to do it. Because I know what's on the other side. And what's on the other side is you. And you're worth it. And I want to do it. So, yeah, it's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, it's going to be painful. But I know what's going to be on the other side. I know it's going to produce. And so it says, He, for the joy set before Him. Have you ever had a really hard thing to do that you knew the Lord wanted you to do? And even though it was hard, you still had joy in the doing of it? That's similar to what Jesus experienced. Romans 14 tells us, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is a matter of righteousness, peace, and the third word used, joy. It doesn't say all the other theological words you'd think it'd say. It says righteousness, peace, and joy. So joy is an integral part. It's an amazing part. It's interwoven into all the, the fabric of the Bible. Again, if you were to take that concordance and go through and look at joy, uh, just take um, Matthew and Luke, the two Christmas stories, and look at how joy is woven into those narratives. And then if you want to take it one step further, take the Gospel of John and look how joy is woven through the Gospel of John. It, it is uh, intricate into the whole fabric of the message. Jesus talked about joy a lot. This is uh, from John 15. I'll give you a snippet here. But... Um, Jesus says this, As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so what? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. The whole idea of their joy is fullness idea of living water springing up within the person. What is that? Joy. The joy of the presence of God. The joy of His joy in us. Love was the cause. You can see that. But joy was the result. Again, love was the cause, but joy was the result. Jesus had great joy in His disciples and those who had turned to Him. For most people, again now, when they think of God... And what he's like, his attributes, joy is usually not one of the qualities that naturally comes to mind. We don't think of him that way. And yet, I want to suggest this morning, joy is a central quality of the heart of God and the type of person that he is. And here's the thing. He was hoping that that would be our same response as well. That we would respond in joy. That it wouldn't be have-to's, it'd be get-to's. Well, I get to do this with you? Awesome. Right? Very cool. That we would have joy. That as we focus our hearts on him, his joy would guard and protect and sustain us no matter what the challenge we face. Right? And so that is supposed to be something that rides with us. It's sticky. It sticks to us. Peter talked about this uh, joy in the believer this way. Uh, In 1 Peter um, if you look at uh, verse 8, it says, Though you've not seen him, you love him. Just watch how this parallels John 15 we just went through. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with what? An inexpressible and glorious joy. Right? Uh, th- this is uh, sometimes for us, you know, if we've known the Lord for a while, this is, you know, we, it's like, yeah, well, I've done that, been there. Yeah, Okay. Uh, and and Peter saying here, this joy we, is the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Sometimes when we get in the middle of it, we as believers need to be reminded that if we want to finish well, yeah, we need faith, yes, we need hope, but we really need joy. You don't finish well if you have joy, right? Crown him with many crowns, lamp on the throne. <laughs> right? And, and we get really upset with new believers because one of the things that new believers are stupid crazy with is joy. They can't shut up. They are just over heads over heels of what happened to them. And we, you know, we, we look at them, new believers, the very same way we do weddings. So I just did a wedding here last night and a couple, Dan Buckley and, and Katie Ishmael, a number of you know them. They, they're married now. They're on their way to their honeymoon. But, you know, as I'm doing a ceremony, as we're talking and that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the couple's just, oh, 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 right? And the older people out there, yeah, just let them be married 10 years. We'll show them. They'll be happy. Right? And we kind of treat believers like that, too. Like, oh, yeah, well, you're doing stupid. You don't know any better. You're not supposed to be that happy. Just just know the Lord for 10 years. You'll be like us. Boy, that's exciting. Right? What, what goes out the window? What gets lost? It's the component of joy. Everything becomes a have to. It's not a get to any longer. Look at this link between joy and hope. This is Romans 15. Uh, most of you know this. May the God of hope fill you with what? Joy. Okay? If, you have, if you lose your joy, is it easy to hang on to hope? See, if your joy goes out the window, then your hope goes out the window. If your hope goes out the window, then your faith goes out the window. How many people do you know used to go to church? And I want to suggest that a lot of what kicked them out is they lost their joy. And in the process of losing their joy, they lost their hope. In the process of losing their hope, they lost their faith. This is saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope, what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is something that uh, is given to us, as the Christmas carol says, right? right? Have you been listening to Christmas music? What, what happens when you listen to Christmas music? Joy, right? You're in the house baking cookies, and all of a sudden a Christmas tune comes in your hand. What do you do? You start tapping around the kitchen, joy, dude, right? And all the songs come, and you're just bebopping around. And all of a sudden you just find yourself what? Smiling. You're driving in the car, and you're smiling, you're singing a tune, and you look at the person next to you, and they go, what makes you so right to be happy? Right? You can just see the look on their face, and you're like, "Ah, eh, Christmas music. Right? It, it's joyful. Joy to the world. The Lord is what? Come. And so joy is essential. Look at, uh, I'll give you three quick snippets out of Psalms that I think are, this is uh, Psalm 4-7 out of the ESV. It says, uh, I have... You are, It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. This is a farming illustration. It's talking about the time of year when the harvest comes in. And if you're a farmer and you're harvesting, and I grew up with this, uh, when I grew up in a little town called Sugar Bush, Wisconsin, we had kermises. Anybody heard that term before, kermis? That's a fall harvest celebration. And basically once all the crops were in, everybody celebrated. Why? Because the barns were full. They were ready to go for another year, and it was time to celebrate. And the psalmist is saying, you put more joy in my heart than somebody who's had a great uh, harvest. Now, the problem is that's a farming illustration. None of us on the farm. So let's make it a modern techie Microsoft Mill Creek illustration. All right? You've watched people this year. They've gotten bonuses. Right? You've watched people this year, they've got promoted. You've watched people this year, they've gotten raises. And what that psalm says is, I have, you put more joy in my heart than all the people who have prospered financially around me. I have more joy than what you did. Right? (laughs) Sure. No, that's true. That's what the psalmist is saying. I should have joy. Why? Not because of what I have, because of who I know. Look at Psalm 119.11. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I can prove to this very simply. Stop for a second, especially those who have known for the Lord for a long time. Go back to when you first met him. Do you remember when you first met him? Do you remember when you first ran into him real, not just an idea? Do you remember what it was like? And look around the room, there's smiles on your faces all of a sudden. Why? Because you're remembering that relationship, remembering that moment of joy. Okay? You're going, oh, yes, Steve, I do remember. I do remember meeting him. And all of a sudden, a smile comes across your face. Why? Because the testimony of God. You know, think about this. Has he been good to you? Despite all the difficulties, despite all the traumas, despite all the losses, despite all, has he not been good to you? When you think about that, what comes across your face? A smile. Joy, because you recognize He's been good. Look at Psalm fifty-one, twelve. It says, "Restore to me the joy of Your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit." This is sometimes we've got to ref- hit the refresh button, right? Because we've gone stale. We no longer have the joy of the Lord. We just have the work of the Lord, and it, it's like chewing on chalk dust. It's like chewing on oatmeal with no water. It's like chewing on sawdust and yeah, this is fun. It becomes the have-tos. I must. This is what I do. Why? Because uh, it's what I do. But what's gone out the window? Joy has gone out the window. It's no longer I get to. It's I have to. And what happens is in that subtly, our our joy dries up. All right? And it, it goes stale. John Piper uh has a little booklet called The Dawn of Indestructible Joy. Uh, Brooks made copies of it, and they're going through it in the senior high, and it's a devotional for Christmas. And what they're doing is going through, and it's kind of you read one each day, and it's the idea of um, what God gave at Christmas. And John talks about this indestructible um, joy and uh, uses this parable out of Matthew about this um, servant. And it says... uh, he had been given some talents, and it says that when he had received the five talents, the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? We've heard this many times. Right? Got a click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets more, and he gets the five. But stop for a second. It says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a liver. I will set you over much. Yeah, we got that right. Track, track, track. Then watch this. Enter into what? How does God describe heaven? How does he describe the final reward, the final lasting place? The joy of your master. Well, who knew about the joy of the master? Who's telling this story? Jesus. Jesus knew heaven. Jesus had been there. Jesus was telling this parable and saying, you know what? You know what you're going to walk into when you walk into heaven? You're going to walk into joy. I mean, seriously, we're going to boogie in heaven, all right? I know we white folk, but we're going to become black. We're going to dance. All right. You're going to have fun. You're going to like it. Well, most of us, when we think of heaven, we think of the, th- the throne seat of judgment. We think of, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be exposed. My sins are going to be rolled out on a screen. I'm going to get reprimanded. I'm going to get rebuked. And I'm going to be told I never knew you. Right. We don't think of heaven as a place of joy. But here it says, enter into the joy of your master. Heaven is going to be astoundingly joyful. Like we can't contemplate. And we forget that. We, we drop that. Piper says this. It says, The joy of your master. He says, That's why Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Why? Because we're anticipating entering into his joy. In his booklet, The Dawning of Indestructible Joy, he, uh, he points to Peter. Peter's epistles, First Peter and Second Peter. And he points to Peter's desire to, Uh, where numerous places in both those epistles, he says, my desire is to stir you up, right? Peter points it out. And that the word there, stir you up, is the same word as to wake somebody up, right? Hey, wake up, right? Come on, let's get going. And so Piper is saying, and he makes a point, I think he makes a really good one, and I, I think it's accurate. He says he makes this point that it's not so much that we lose our faith, he says it's just a matter of it tends to go to sleep. You ever been asleep walking in your faith? Right? Just kind of on autopilot kind of thing. You're no longer engaging. You're just doing automatically what you know you're supposed to. And, and Piper says this word uh, stirred up is the same kind of, um, is the same meaning of the word as to stir up to awake person. He says sometimes our joy needs to be woken back up. Sometimes we forget We leave our joy at home and we try to do the rest of the Christian life and it doesn't work very well. And so it needs to be stirred up, just like you wake up somebody from a deep sleep. Now, I'm not a Pollyanna when I'm talking about this, all right? And I understand this. I want to talk about this issue of circumstances because you're saying, well, I would have joy if I had different circumstances, all right? And I want to suggest that joy is not dependent on circumstances. My good friend Steve Ridgway says this, says vision is where your place of deepest joy intersects your best hope for humanity. Where's the place of deepest joy for you? When it comes to the Lord. Maybe sometimes why ministry doesn't work is because we're not operating out of joy. We're not operating out of a place of joy. We're operating out of a place of responsibility or have to instead of joy. And, uh, Steve here, uh, is, uh, talking, but uh, let me just give you my week this week. All right. So I've had this message in my heart for about six months. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. And it came time to put this together last Monday. Couldn't, nothing worked at all. Absolutely. you Ever had one of those where no, I'm sitting looking at a computer blank. I get up, walk, do stuff, nothing, blank. I can't put nothing together. I can't put three thoughts together. I'm getting interrupted all week, and some of the stuff I got interrupted with was pretty tough stuff. I got word this week two good friends are battling cancer. Okay, and it's very significant. And it's very serious. I got another call on Monday. A dad came in and said, "Hey, my son tried to commit suicide over the weekend," and so I spent that day and Tuesday part of Tuesday talking uh, to that dad uh, about the sun and what we could do together and that kind of stuff. I had a wife come in and their marriage just went flamed up in the kitchen, right? And she's crying across my desk and I'm still not being able to put anything together. I know some of you, I, I look kind of blurry eyed this morning. You're intuitors, so you're, you're going, what's wrong with them? It is not the result of a hangover. I want to assure you that, All right. Um, what happened was we were here yesterday. Uh, Pam and I went shopping all morning and then I had a wedding. So I was here at the wedding from... Uh, three o'clock to nine fifteen, and so we did the wedding and helped clean up the stuff, and then we jumped into the car because Kayla came home. All right, so Kayla's back. She's down here, and we're good to see her. Give her a hand. Yeah, glad to see it. And so we had to go pick her up. So we jumped in the car, and Pam's driving. We take off for SeaTac. Well, Kayla's plane was supposed to arrive at nine ten, nine fifty, nine fifty, and so at nine fifteen. We figured we can make it to SeaTac. We'll get there. And then we keep getting this message, hey, my plane's been delayed, hey, it's uh, sleeting and snow in Albuquerque, and they had to de-ice the plane, it hasn't got off the ground yet, so I'm still sitting in Phoenix waiting for the plane to get here. And it it got really late, well, so we we had this plan that we would get Kayla, and then we would go and pick up Kayla's guy, all right, and yeah, she's got a guy, and he's here this morning, you'll have to find him, he's hiding, his name is Mike, he's right away. But we said, all right, here's what we'll do: we'll go get Micah, and then we'll get Kayla, and then we'll go home. Well, we picked up Micah, and, and Kayla, of course, is worried because now she's not in the car with us, with Micah. So, are you going to do stupid, weird stuff, like the horse put his foot put his foot on the ground? And you know that? Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah, that's great fun. And uh, but we picked Kayla up, and so we we get to the airport, and now the plane's late. Well, the plane didn't arrive at 9:50. The plane arrived at two twenty in the morning, yeah, and I'm sitting there going, all right, three services, uh,, this will be fun and uh and but you know, by the time you hug and by the time you get your stuff and by the time you drive home, I put my head on the pillow it was four o five, all right, up at six to be here for the eight o'clock service, and so I am so glad this is almost over. I just wow, uh, amen, but this was my week, all right. It didn't go according to plan. Okay, matter of fact, very little went. But that does not mean I can't have joy in it. Let me t- use Steve's story here. Steve is a, a great buddy and he, he does a lot of stuff. He travels all over the world. And he says this, Jesus is so unpredictable. Isn't that true? Amen? Right? Jesus is so unpredictable. He is so otherworld. He flips common reason on its head. He is predictable in this. He seems to always do the opposite of what we would do. I remember when I was a first believer, I had things so wrong, I figured if I did the opposite of what I wanted to do, I probably was doing the right thing. So I, I get this part that he's talking about. He says things like, if someone slaps you, turn your cheek. He loves the unlovable, and he says that amazing things will happen in you and to you when you care for the poor. We just saw that with Step by Step, right? Who got blessed more, the people who came or the ones who did? I would suggest we did, right? He says, um, when you care for poor, but then he says to you, love your enemy. Any of you have a problem doing that? Here's what Steve says about that. He says, why? Because it is what defines one as truly Christian. The ability to love your enemy. It is what says that person is a follower of Jesus. Why? Because you can't love your enemy, but Jesus in you can. It's a defining moment to all when we love our enemy. He, and he says this, A number of months ago I was visiting a country that is less than inviting to people who follow Jesus. There have been martyrs. He says, I know families and I have stood at the graves. And while I was there, I was aggressively confronted by a man who wanted me to renounce the name of Jesus. I told him that I would never do that. At that moment, two armed soldiers raised their weapons directly at me. And in that moment, God gave me a peace that I cannot begin to express. By the way, we're talking about peace, uh, the peace of God next week. Says he gave me a love for these men that did not make any sense. I stepped towards the man who had zealously approached me and I hugged him and told him that I loved him and expressed that what he had just done to me, I would never do to him. But what I would do is love him, honor him, and show him respect. And he says, you know what the end result was? He said, I experienced incredible joy. He said, that I can't explain. So talking through that and walking through that, my question for us this morning then is, all right, as we're coming to Christmas, where's your joy? Where's, Where's it placed in? You know, it's easy to get it misdirected. It can be stuff, right? We talked about that last week. Uh, where the dad of the family said, "There's, I learned over decades there's nothing that I can buy physical that will make me happy. It's people, right? So where's your joy this Christmas? Well, to help you, I went and recruited a famous theologian, Dr. Seuss, in his epical theological treatise, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. And I would like you to think about joy, maybe see it in a different way this morning. You know the story well. The Grinch has successfully stolen all of the outer trappings of Christmas and he's licking his chops because he has thoroughly wrecked the day, in his opinion. And he is thinking to himself, I have destroyed their joy, right? And I want to just say this too. When it comes to warfare, right? Many of us think of warfare, right? We think of cannons and bazookas and tanks and bombs and guns and all that kind of stuff. But if you think about warfare in terms of defrauding, if you think about lies and whispers, if you think about it subtly, what's a number one tactic if you were Satan? If I was Satan and I was going after the church, I would steal their joy. Because I know once they lose their joy, they don't function right. Once they lose their joy, they lose their momentum. Once they lose their joy, hope gets shaky, faith gets shaky. They start becoming overcome with worry and fear and they don't stay focused on their king anymore. And so I would do everything that I could to steal their joy. And, and Seuss has captured this vividly in the Grinch Stove of Christmas. I will steal their stuff and I will wreck their day. And then it goes on to this and he says this. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open for a minute or two. And then the who's down in Whoville will all cry, Boo-hoo! That's a noise, the Grinch said. I simply must hear. So he paused, and the Grinch put a hand to his ear. And he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low. Then it started to grow. But this, the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presents at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, and bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. And then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And what happened next? Well, in Whoville, they say, the Grinch's small heart Grew three sizes that day. And the true meaning of Christmas came through. And the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. What did he find? He found joy. He found the meaning of Christmas, not just the stuff of Christmas. Here's the real lesson Yeah, life is tough. Yeah, our country's a mess. Yeah, there's a lot of bad things happening. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. If our joy gets stolen from us, we have no strength, right? We may have a lot of ideals and that kind of stuff, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Read the story in Nehemiah. Jude says this, Now to him who is able to keep you, who is able to keep you from stumbling, you know, any of us ever stumble? Huh? Right? Right? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with what? Great joy. He is able to present us before the Father with great joy. It is not us. It's the greatness of our Savior. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ the Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And when it comes to joy, we all are responsible for our peace. And sometimes that's the problem is we only see our peace and it doesn't make sense. We look at life and go, what does this contribute to anything? And I'd like to give you an object lesson this morning that would help put this in context. So this summer we uh, did youth camp, right? And great time. And we have the craft shack. Margaret Down runs the craft shack. And all high schoolers love the craft shack. And uh, that's a joke. And so... You can laugh at that. And so for this one, we had a special thing where they had tiles, and you had to do your tile. And right away, what's this for? Why do we have to do this? This doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. It doesn't look good. Mine didn't come out right. Wah, right? And, and I want to go boating. I want to go, right? But they said, no, come on, please. You've got to do your tile well. And so all the kids sat and through different parts of the week, they all did their tile. And When you looked at the tile, it made no sense whatsoever. It just looked like a piece of gobbledygook. But everybody did their piece of tile. And then this week, Brooks went and bought uh, some plywood and he put the plywood together and then he arranged those pieces of tile on that plywood. And if you were to go up in the youth room today, which you should, some of you are terrified of that room because you think some green slimy thing is going to jump out and grab you if you open the door there. But some of the greatest things about the kingdom happen up in that room up there. Did you know that? And you should go up there and see this because what happened is when you put that whole tile together and you look at the pieces, here's what came out. Oops. See, isn't that true? When we come together at church, doesn't your joy level rise? Just think of heaven when all the people from eternity who believed in Jesus get gathered here. What's going to happen to our joy level? Well, we shouldn't wait till heaven. It should start now, and you're going, yeah, my peace is not going very well. Your peace is still important, and you need to do your peace with joy. And the prayer this morning is that your heart would grow three sizes this Christmas with the joy of the Lord, and that you would have a new focus for why you're doing Christmas, and you would focus not on the presents, the trappings, the presents, the bags, but you would focus on the one who came for Christmas. What does it say? Crown him with many crowns. Bring forth the royal diadem, joy to the Lord, joy to the world, the Lord has come. I think we should sing that, and I, should think, I think we should sing that with great joy this morning. So would you stand? Let's worship and sing it to Him.